0: Before we begin, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we ask that you would open our minds and our understanding that we may receive the gospel message, the message of God that started from Genesis and went through Revelations. May it prepare us, dear Father, to meet you in peace. May it prepare us to trust you and love you more. Help our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen. In the message version of the Bible, Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6 reads this way. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. King James says, trust God with all of your heart. message says, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Do not try to figure out everything on your own. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. From the bottom, which is vastly different, from a shallow, surface trust that we normally do daily, or the lip service acknowledgement we do when we sing our hymns. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. As mortal beings destined to die and with limited cognitive ability, trying to figure out everything on your own is like a toddler heading off to graduate school to teach neurophysics. Compare us to God, who is immortal and has all knowledge and all wisdom, and who alone knows the path he has for us. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Giving God control of everything in our lives can annually cause us a lot of worry and become very anxious. To the point, sometimes we get ill. Trusting God is definitely not a natural process. We are not born trusting God. But sometimes, some kind of way it happens over an extended period of time, working and walking with the Lord, that he gently takes our hand, finger by finger by finger, and he pries it off of the steering wheel as we're driving 200 miles an hour in the wrong direction. And he replaces our shaking hand with his almighty one. He now redirects us and guides us to a promised future, not a certain death. It is amazing that when you let go, the level of your anxiety, your worry, your arrogance that took you so low is now replaced with a level of trust and peace that makes your spirit soar. Where he leads us, will we follow? Today we're going to take a journey back in time. Can you open your Bibles, please? We're going back to the year 1490 B.C. We're in a barren, rocky, desolate place. The temperature daily hovers between 120 and 130 degree Fahrenheit. The sun is merciless. The desert temperature drops so quickly in the evening that you find yourself shivering from the night air. It's a hard land. Go to Numbers chapter 9. Actually, before we do that, let's kind of take a peek at... um, Exodus 13, verses 21 and 22. Now, this is going to be a little more interactive this morning. And I'm going to ask people to help me read. I know how to read, but I just want some help. We're traveling on foot with a mass migration of people estimated to be about two and a half million. It's men, it's women, elderly, children, and a massive herd of flocks. They're the Israelites of God, and this is their exodus. A mixed multitude also chooses to travel with them. Many are converts to faith in the God Almighty, but sadly a far greater number desired only to escape from the plagues. or they came along out of curiosity and excitement. This group is constantly a problem to Moses and a temptation to rebel with the Israelites. Can someone stand up and read chapter 13 of Exodus, verse 21 and 22? Any clear brave soul? I have a lot of brave souls I'm going to need today. He led them. He led them. You're leading a massive number of people of all different ages, babies, elderly, disabled, herds. They traveled with a tremendous herd of flock. These are their property, for they never sold their possessions during the, to the king during the years of famine like the Egyptians did. They didn't need to. They had food. During the reign of Joseph, his father Jacob and his sons had brought their flocks and herds with them to Egypt, where they had greatly increased. Before leaving Egypt, by the direction of Moses, the people claimed payment for the years of unpaid labor, and the Egyptians were too eager to be freed from their presence to refuse them. The former slaves went forth rich with herds and the wealth of their former masters, and the God Almighty directed them with a cloud by day and a fire by night. Every part of this journey had revealed more of God's wisdom and mercy, Can you put up the first slide for me, please? Patriarchs and Prophets puts it perfectly. In their departure from Egypt, instead of pursuing the direct route to Canaan, they were going to the Promised Land, which lay through the country of the Philistines. The Lord directed their course southward toward the shores of the Red Sea. For God realized the hearts of the people would melt when they met the Philistines. The Philistines were a warlike people. The Israelites would turn and run back to Egypt. Had they attempted to pass through this territory, the Philistines regarding them as slaves, escaping from their masters. They would not hesitate to make war upon this group of people with elderly and babies and cattle. And They're easy pickings. They're untrained soldiers. They have no weapons. They were depressed from years of slavery. And they were slowed down with all this mass craft. In leading them by the way of the Red Sea, the Lord revealed himself as a God of compassion as well as a God of judgment. Where he leads me, I will follow. The Israelites have learned so much of God's love, power, and character during this past year. The miraculous deliverance from the Red Sea, Pharaoh's armies, the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath, the manna, the water from a rock, ceremonial law, the organizational chart of leadership from Moses to the tribes and the tribal elders and the leaders all the way down to each individual family and the respect they had to give to each one. God was teaching them this over the past year. A year had passed. It was time to keep the Passover, and God had told them to erect a tabernacle, and now it was time to dedicate it. The tabernacle was complete, and today is dedication day. So much has happened already this day. Cleansing of the Levites, congregational offerings, numerous animal sacrifices, and the first keeping of the Passover feast since leaving bondage in Egypt one year ago today. God has led them. Suddenly the massive bright cloud that has led them since they left Egypt slowly moves. It's hovering above the tabernacle. Actually right above the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant is kept, and inside the Ark of the Covenant is the two tablets of God's law, the Ten Commandments. The brightness of the cloud increases. People shield their eyes from this glory. They cannot look at it. It It's too bright. In the hearts of the people is an overwhelming awareness of this enormity of this central nature in the presence of this purity and this holiness. They cannot handle it. Hours later at sunset, this cloud changes to look like a pillar of fire. Can you kind of turn a little, some of the lights off, except for the one here? Which seems like it reaches to the very throne of God and to rest right over the Holy of Holies. 1 Kings 8, verses 10 and 11 records that nearly 500 years later, when King Solomon dedicates the first permanent worship temple for God, again the cloud fills the house right above the Holy of Holies, With a light so bright, even the priest cannot stand there to do their job and minister. Where he leads us, we were followed. His holiness teaches us holiness. His glory shows us who God is. Can we turn to Numbers chapter 9? Numbers chapter 9. We're going to start at verse 15 and go to verse 23. I need three people to read three verses apiece. Can I have some volunteers? Nice, strong readers. Thank you, my dear. <laughs> Uh, Jeff, uh, 15, 16, 17. Can someone do the next three? Yes.
1: At the commandment of the Lord, the yes. children of Israel have journeyed. At the commandment of the Lord, they teach, as long as the child goes from the combat, they are ready and when the clouds carried not from the tabernacle many days, then the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and burned it not. And so it was when the cloud was a few days from the tabernacle, according to the commandments of the Lord, they fold in their tents, and according to the commandment of the Lord, they burned.
0: Him. Amen. Can I have someone to do the last prayer? Yes, ma'am. They kept the charge of the Lord by the commandment of the Lord by the hand and through the mouth and through the leadership of the one God had called this was going to be their major test for the next decades the cloud God comforts us by dwelling with us. He comforts us not by leaving us alone, not by abandoning us as the world has assumed. He comforts us by dwelling with us. And this is the method God chose throughout the word of God. He promised never, ever, 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 ever ever to leave us alone. He wants to make sure we understand that. The several things the cloud signifies. Number one is wait for God's signal. God's signal. Be patient, but be ready. Daily the people had to look up to God to see if the cloud was moving. They looked up. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 says, We fix our eyes upon Jesus. Here is a test of trust. They had to look up for guidance. In the Greek, the word, the definition of man means to turn the face upward to God. But even then, they could get ready, but they couldn't do anything. They could not move until they got the signal from the sons of Aaron blowing the two trumpets. Now we're going to go to chapter 10. Can I have someone read the first three verses of chapter 10? First three verses of chapter 10.
1: Thank you, sir. the all the to be Thank you. The next three. Anyone? Thank you. if one you When the second time,
0: Can someone read verses can you read seven and eight also? hmm And when the assembly is to gather together, we shall blow but not sound the land. The sons
1: of Aaron, the free shall burn, and we shall be
0: The people not only watched daily for the sign of the cloud about to move, but they also noticed there was something they had to do. They had to wait. you be ready while you're waiting, but you have to wait on God. The sons of Aaron, the priest, anointed for this solemn duty. They were ever ready with their trumpets at their side. This is the first mention in the Bible of using trumpets to sound alarms. These two trumpets, however, were very unique. Each was to be formed of a single piece of pure silver. In later years, trumpets were made from the horns of antlers and rams, but not these. These were pure silver, signifying purity from sin. Staying close to Moses, these two priests would watch his every move. For they could not act as faithful watchmen, sounding an alarm if they're nowhere to be found. When they would see him looking upward toward the cloud, And this countenance would change. They knew God was speaking to Moses. He would then turn to them and tell them to sound the alarm. The cloud is about to move. Staying close to God is what helps us to see when God is about to move. God needs us to watch him and watch the signs. Not to move but to wait for his cause. Now is the time to move, but just be ready. Follow the cloud. It didn't matter where the cloud would move during the day or night, when, whether it's day or night, the Bible says, whether you're day one day, or you're there for a year, or you're there for several months or a week, it did not matter. If it's the middle of the night, and the fire moved, you packed it up and you moved. Two and a half million people, elderly, babies, cattle, you moved. Every single day of God told you to. Because he's testing you to see will you trust him. Wherever the cloud or fire went, the people were to follow him. Follow this cloud. Imagine you could no longer plan or control your daily life. We are people who so desire predictability. James 4 verses 13 and 15 says, Now listen you who say today or tomorrow we're going to this or this city. We're going to spend a year there. We're going to carry on some business. We're going to make some money. This is what we plan to do. God says no. You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. You do not even know if you'll be alive tomorrow. What is your life? The Bible says you're a mess. You come today, you leave tomorrow. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, and if I'm alive, we'll do this. Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the path, I'm the example, I'm the role model. Yet he moved when God told him to move. He stood still when God told him, stand still. He spoke when he was told to, and he kept silent when he was supposed to. Now we need to learn that one. He said nothing without first hearing it from the father. He was faithful, he did not murmur, he bloomed right where God planted him. And he waited on God. Number three, we rely upon the cloud. The cloud offered the people shade from the heat of the day. The fire provided heat during the cold of the desert night. God wants us to lean on his provision. Acts chapter 17, verses 28 says, For in him we live and move and have our being. Now, when you looked at verse 10, I mean, chapter 10, you looked at verse um, 6. It says, when you blow an alarm the second time, then the camps that lie on the south side shall take their journey. They shall blow an alarm for the congregations. Can someone read verses 11 through 13 for me? Marizella? Thank you. There's a slide that shows uh, the four quadrants. That one. Yes. This is the four quadrants arrangement that God set up in Numbers chapter 2. Where he told them where he wanted them to live. Anywhere they settled, this is where I want you to live. I want three on the top of the 12 tribes. When they moved, they didn't start with the top. Verse 6 says, When you blow an alarm the second time, the camps that lie on the south side shall take their journey. He had them going group by group by group. They would unpack what they had just like a mobile mass unit with the military. You unpack what you have, you move out. This group is unpacking. They wait a distance, they move out, they space between each other. Listen to how God did this. In the first 14, the first place went the standard of the camp of the children of Judah. Do you see Judah? Right there. Judah had 74,600 people to move out, unpack and move out. According to their armies and over their host was Nashon, the son of Aminabad. The next was the children of Issachar, 54,400. And over them was Nathaniel, the son of Zuar. The next you had the tribe of Zebulun. Eliab was over them. Each one had a leader, and the leader followed. He took care of his tribe, and under them they had the families but each one was under the command of God through the hand of Moses. I need a little light right here, please?
1: Thank you. Mm-hmm.
0: After that, you have, after Zebulun, in verse 17, they didn't jump to the next tribe. Can someone read 17 for me? The Gorada readers. The tabernacle was taken down, and the sons of Gershon, and the sons of Maronite, set forward bearing the tabernacle. And the standard of of Reuben, set forward. Verse 19, over the host of the tribe of Simeon, set forward. Verse 20, and the host of the tribe of Gad, set forward. And the 21 of the Kohathites, they moved forward bearing the sanctuary itself. First, they took the tabernacle down between those two tribes, but now they're bringing the sanctuary itself. And the other did set up the sanctuary against before they came. God did not allow his Ark of the Covenant nor his sanctuary to be sitting on the side of the road while 80,000 people from one tribe is trying to move through. He made sure they took down pieces of it. The tabernacle is already set up by the time you bring in the sanctuary parts. And that last part you're bringing in is the Ark of the Covenant. And it goes right back into the Holy of Holies and it rests there. And God says, we're going to do this in orderly fashion. You would never see God's thing sitting on the side of the road. We don't think this way. God says your thoughts are not my thoughts. You think about what's convenient and logistically convenient for you. God is thinking about his holiness and how we must respect it. Their every move, our every move, was to be in God's timing and his sequence. His sense of order teaches us God's priorities. They moved out by tribe by tribe, going in a clockwise direction, starting with the oldest, the main tribe. The tabernacle was strategically moved between tribes. It was ready to set up at the new location immediately. Nothing in this whole exodus was by accident. Nothing in the whole exodus was insignificant or by chance. God was in everything. He organized the tents of the tribes. He organized the families in a quadrant. He put the tabernacle in the middle. Can you show the pictures, the other pictures, go back to slide two, please? And just scroll through the slides. This is a blowing of the trumpets, right there. He wanted to make sure each piece was put back together. And can you go back to slide one? Thank you. The tents were a distance from the fence surrounding the tabernacle. Just like Moses on the mount when he saw the burning bush, God told him, You're on holy ground. When they saw the fire, they saw that they stepped up even further. God wanted them to realize, as you see there, the church is the center of the community, it's not an afterthought. It's not when we feel like coming to church or what the weather may be. Or do I have something to wear? Or do I like the people? Or is it too far? The church was the center of the community. Every single tent faced the church. When you came out of your tent in the morning, you saw the cloud, and at night you saw the fire. You can turn the lights on. You heard the cloud. You heard the music. You smelled the incense. You witnessed the sacrifices for the sins of the people. You were surrounded by the presence of the living God. Can you go to slide number two? God made it impossible to sin in this community. He did not make it easy for you to gossip about the way he was leading you through Moses. He did not make it easy for you to sneak into somebody else's tent and steal or to sneak some moments of immorality. He did not make it easy for you to sin. You had to literally fight God to get past him, to sin. God teaches us holiness by revealing his holiness. By beholding, you become changed when he is the center of your life. Again, the question is answered. It's asked to you. Where he leads, where you follow.